the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, episode number 47. Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple so that you can fuel your best with less. Less time, less money, and less stress. I'm Ben Brown, co-founder and CEO of BSL Nutrition, and I'm excited to have you join me on this journey. Each week, I'll be sharing expert advice from leaders in the field of nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and supplementation who actually practice what they preach and are also on a mission to positively impact as many people as possible in a meaningful way. Today's episode is brought to you by my nutrition company, BSL Nutrition, and our all-in-one training drink called Complete Essentials. When you use the Complete Essentials, you'll no longer need pre-, during-, and post-workout supplements. You can save time, money, and energy, and get all the beneficial nutrients you need in one delicious, easy-to-mix drink. Make sure you guys stay tuned after the show where I'll share a nice little discount for all of our listeners on your first product purchase. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to episode number 47 of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. On today's show, we have Shauna Curry. Shauna has made her mark in the health and wellness space as an Amazon best-selling author. She's an international speaker and through podcast appearances, published health articles, and personalized health coaching. This variety of experience has built a community of clients who benefit from her intimate and inspiring health and wellness information. Her company, YourLifestyleStrategy.com, has been dedicated to total health solutions and all of the aspects aspects of healthy living including fitness and sleep and nutrition, self-help and overall lifestyle strategies. You can be a part of her movement by taking charge of your own health today at www.yourlifestylestrategy.com. Uh, just a note on Shauna, she wrote and self-published her first book in the fall of 2017, which is called Healthy by Choice, Your Blueprint for Vital Living, and hit the number four on the bestseller list in less than 48 hours of launching. You can hear her on all kinds of different podcasts, and you can find her book on obviously amazon.com without further ado let's jump in shauna curry thank you so much for coming on to the smart nutrition made simple show how are you i'm doing fantastic thanks so much for having me on today heck yeah i've been i've been looking forward to this this chat for a little while now and uh so so tell us for for those of our listeners that aren't familiar with you shauna and your and your new book tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what you do and how you got into what you do Definitely. So I've, I've kind of got two parallel stories. One is the, the boring story about my education. Uh, so I've got a kinesiology degree and I spent 10 years working as a coach, a personal trainer. And then I got into the public speaking world and absolutely loved it. I fell in love with doing the writing, the public speaking, the education piece. And when I would go and do these presentations, people would say, oh, are you a nurse? And I would say, well, no, but I have 10 years experience and all these coaching certifications. And it seemed like I I didn't have credibility. So I actually went back to school, took a nursing degree and have spent six years as a registered nurse. And between those two degrees is really what's brought me to where I am in terms of the education level. What were the things that you were talking about that people were equating to you needing to be a nurse to talk about? Like what were those, yeah. what were those topics? I'm I would talk about general concepts and, and sort of core components of what's involved in nutrition, what's involved in sleep, in, in being a healthy, balanced person. And it seemed like even though you have this degree, you've got lots of education, lots of experience. And I mean, I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. I really dedicate a lot of time to reading lots of, you know, what, what are the new trends, what's out there, what's the good research that's coming out to support information. But it seemed like there wasn't that same credibility with a kinesiology mm. degree as, as there is nursing. 
nurses are one of the most trusted professions out there. And, and so as a result, um, I found even just by simply being a nurse now, the credibility level goes up so much because uh, people just seem to, to respect that profession. Whereas I, I feel like kinesiology is still a very misunderstood profession that, that people don't realize how many science courses you take yeah. and how much is involved in, in sure. understanding what goes on in the human body, the, you know, the anatomy, the physiology, all, all of the you know, chemistry that's going on inside the body. And, and people think you just took gym. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, for some of us, we did, but but yeah, it certainly is some science classes. Okay, cool. So that propelled you into getting um, your registered nursing license. And, yes. And so, what was your? What did you kind of specialize in? So, in in nursing, I have specialized sort of in two areas. One is acute neurology. So anything that's crazy and out there, things like your rare brain tumors, strokes, mm. acute head injuries, anything basically related to the head. So, so I love the acute side because I feel like when people are in the hospital in those situations, generally, not always, it's stuff that has happened to them and not because it's a lifestyle choice. And, and so they're sick because they had a seizure or they're sick because they fell and they hit their head. Stroke a little bit more lifestyle based, but I, I feel like generally a lot of the patients that are there, it's, it's sort of out of their control. And, and so I like the craziness, the acuity, acuity of it. Um, and then the other part that I've specialized in is more of the lifestyle management. So chronic disease management, working with clients that have diabetes, cholesterol issues, weight issues, um, basically all of the chronic diseases that are plaguing mm-hmm. society today. And, and that's been a really big part of, of my career uh, as a nurse. So that's interesting because you've got two very polarizing sides of the spectrum, right? You've got the acute side, like you said, things happen to these people. And I'm assuming more often than not completely out of their control versus the chronic disease, which we know, you know, these are lifestyle choices that people are making day in and day out that are leading to the point where now by the time that they're seeing you, they're probably in some pretty bad condition. Definitely, definitely. And, and a lot of times it's more accumulation of lifetime of, you know, poor, poor choices without the education and the knowledge of, of the implication of those choices. How willing are these people, you know, facing these chronic health conditions, how willing are these people to start to change their lifestyles from what you're seeing from a clinical standpoint at this junction in their life? Yeah, there, there's sort of two camps. So one camp is, you know, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I can ignore this. So I, I think of a patient specifically that I did a diabetic foot check on and he had necrotic spots on his foot. He had mm. black black points. And so I said, like, you need to take care of your feet and we need to get your diet in order and you need to make these lifestyle changes or you're going to lose your feet. And he said, well, I don't have time. You guys make me go to all these appointments and you make me take up all this time. And for him, it was this huge inconvenience on his life that I was imposing on him. Found out, didn't, you know, didn't see him for a while, found out a couple months later that he had a foot amputation and it didn't go well. So then it became above the ankle amputation and that didn't go well. So it ended up below the knee amputation. And last I heard that it was going above the knee as well. And, and this is all my fault because I inconvenienced him for all of these appointments and, and time that, that it took out of his day and out of his life. Um, so there's sort of that camp, the ignorant, I'm not ready to change. I'm not really willing to do anything. And it's all your fault as the healthcare professional for, for not fixing me and just give me a pill to make me better type approach. And then there's the opposite side where people come in and whether it be early on or perhaps later on, people get numbers and they're scared. They say, oh my God, I I actually have diabetes now. And so now they're really motivated and they're really willing to change. And so, you know, on the contrast, I I remember this one patient who was severely obese and he was drinking upwards of four liters of pop a day and pretty much gave it up cold turkey. His blood sugars returned to normal. He lost a ton of weight and was able to basically increase his exercise because now he could move more and like, 
just the two polar opposites of of the camps. Yeah, I mean, and you know, you would think at that position, I mean, especially for people like us and a lot of people that are listening to the show that, you know, tend to take care of themselves for the most part, they tend to be physically active, tend to make better nutrition decisions and are always looking to do better. But for people like that, you would think it would click. Like you think at this point, like, hey, we're about to cut your foot off or (laughs) you're in here for cardiovascular related conditions or, you know, you're you now have type 2 diabetes and now you need to use medications. You think that a switch would flip to the degree that they would be like, okay, I know it's not going to be easy, but tell me what I need to start doing. And invariably, you get a lot of people with this victim mentality that are like, why is this happening to me? Why are you doing this to me? It's not fair when in actuality, it's like, no, these are the decisions. And, and whether you realize it or not, these are the decisions that you've been making day in and day out that have led you to get to this point. So, um, you know, my hope is that there's more people that are willing to make change than not. And for those people within this clinical environment, how do you help them facilitate that? Because I'm assuming as a nurse, you know, you're working on more acute phase things But within that, like, how do you help them start to plug in the nutrition and lifestyle guidelines that you know they need? Yeah. And so, I mean, depending on what approach as, as a nurse in an acute unit, there, there really isn't a lot of time to be doing that. And nor, nor is that the right time and place to be doing that mm. in terms of their medical journey. Um, but there, there's little ways to kind of sneak it in. So on, on the medical side, I've got a patient in, let's say they're recovering from brain surgery and family starts to bring in a ton of junk food. That's a great time to intervene and say, Hey, did you know that actually by bringing in some fruits and vegetables and more nutrient dense foods and, you know, families can get really on board with being like, wow, I, can bring them some berries or I can bring them, you know, some really nutrient dense foods instead of this chocolate chip, sugary, you know, carbohydrate rich garbage, that's actually going to improve their healing and make them uh, be able to recover from the surgery much quicker than they would if they're, they're feeling their body with all this, this garbage. So, I mean, that's one, one aspect, you know, but to sit down and do like the full diabetic teaching is, is usually not appropriate in that type of an acute setting or, or to say, Hey, you know, like you're obese, but you know, here are some tips that we can do. I, I try to sneak it in when I'm doing things like personal care. So if I'm helping somebody walk to the bathroom or maybe they need a hand, you know, combing their hair or brushing their teeth, those are great times that it's kind of dead time. And, and I can use that for patient teaching and, and sneak a lot of really good information in there as, as they're struggling with something. Hey, did you know that, you know, if you do it this way, it can actually improve your health a little bit more from more the client perspective when I'm, when I'm out in the community and working one-on-one with clients or doing group coaching sessions or, or presentations that way, I've got a pretty robust way of assessing clients' health. And so through my experience between nursing and kinesi, I, I basically have identified what I call seven core pillars of your health. Mm. And so I go through those seven core pillars and really evaluate what's most out of balance. And then I've created more of a triage system of targeting the most out of balance area first, and then slowly working through the, the totem pole of, of what's most out of balance, moving down to what's most most in balance now because your life is always evolving. We're, we're never going to talk about having everything in perfect balance. A, a better word for that is actually mixing. So we're not looking for it to be, you know, I've said seven pillars, one seventh, one seventh, one seventh, like that's unsustainable and unrealistic. We're never going to have everything to be exactly equal. But what you want to think about is more like a mix. So if we're making a cocktail, for example, you know, if we add one part of this and two parts of this, it's going to taste a little bit different than if there's four parts of this and only one of that. And maybe mm-hmm. that stays out on, on this cocktail. 
And so we think about that the same with our health is like, there's times in your life where you know that your sleep is just not going to be as good as it can be. You know, so, so take a, a new mom, her sleep is going to be decimated because she's got this young infant. She's waking up several times in the night. She's going to have that disrupted sleep pattern. So we need to then make sure that her other pillars of health are in balance to help compensate for the fact that that sleep for probably the first year or two years is totally going to be out of whack. Yeah. So, so that's, I like that term triage, especially coming from your clinical standpoint is, so how do you triage someone's nutrition and lifestyle? You know, what are the tools that you use to determine which is in most need of help, you know, first, and then how do you go, you know, how do you follow up from there? Yeah. Is it, um, do you want me to talk about what the components I think are of a good diet? Is, is that sort of what I you're love, Yeah, sure. Awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, what I did uh, when I wrote my book is I, I spent about two years of research going through programs that are out there. So I, I did a really thorough assessment of what is, what, what is good nutrition and, and what is optimal nutrition? Because there's, there's a difference between optimal nutrition and then what our food guidelines are saying, Re- regardless of what country you're in, where you are, your food guidelines from your government are probably not adequate. They're going to keep you alive. They're going to help you survive, but they're not going to help you thrive. And right now there isn't a lot of information out there. Of what do you need to do to thrive? And that was sort of my, the focus of my book is more not, I'm not, I'm not just trying to keep you alive. I'm trying to help you live this vibrant, richer life where, where you can do what you want to do. You can and have more energy. You can be a better person, um, and in everything that you do, whether that be your work, your family life, your your uh, personal interests. And so, uh, through the assessment of a ton of different diets, a lot of literature, going through lots of textbooks, lots of you know journal articles, what are the components of a good diet? And so, I came up with ten core components that I, I think any diet, regardless of what diet you want to be on, should have these components. And so, we think of a lot of the trendy diets that are out there right now, and there's lots of good components, but not everybody is executing them to the best of their abilities or, or to the best of what that diet could be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so the quick overview of the, the 10 components is that you, you need to have some food security, you need it to be affordable, to be low in processed foods, you want it to be high in nutrients, lots of variety in your diet, you want it to be sustainable long term, to focus on hydration status for your body, to fuel for what your activity level is and what your weight, ga- uh, weight goals are, and then to balance a social component in it, and then to balance your blood sugars. And so when we look at those 10 components, we want to make sure that we're targeting each of those in, in different ways through whatever diet it is that you want to choose to be on. And so they're scalable, whether you want to be on a vegan diet, whether you want to be on a vegetarian diet, you want to be keto, you want to be paleo, you want to be, you know, standard American diet, you want to be Mediterranean, like we can, we can apply those principles to any diet that you want to follow. And, and so it's not saying you must follow this exact diet. And, and this must be the way that you eat is that we want to have a diet that's scalable for whatever your life looks like, whether you are the kind of person who eats out a lot, uh, because of perhaps work functions, or you travel a lot, or you're a homebody and you, you want to be at home all the time, or, or perhaps you hate cooking, is we want to think about how can we apply those principles to any diet that you want to do. Let's actually take a step back and, and I'll allow you to expand in that, which of those components, because those are all excellent. So which of those components do you find that your clients tend to show up struggling with the most that you have to spend the most amount of time on? So, I mean, blood sugar is absolutely probably one of the biggest ones. I, I have it in my book as the last one, but I would say it should probably almost have been the first one because it's probably the most important is a lot of people think that they're eating healthy, balanced diets 
and and they're really they may be eating good quality food but it's not balanced for them and it's not balancing their blood sugars so what i see is probably the most common breakfast and i, I love picking on it is you know a lot of people will eat fruit yogurt and granola as a breakfast that's a super common food and those foods are all touted as like they're really healthy that you know energy rich you're going to have lots of antioxidants yada yada we could go on about the benefits of this as a breakfast but when you really break it down fruit turns into sugar Right. yogurt which most people are I, I shouldn't generalize but a lot of people are not eating the best quality plain yogurt that's out there they're eating these flavored you know sugar high yogurts so yeah. that turns into sugar and and even if it isn't sugar rich lactose turns into sugar right. um, it does have a little bit of protein in it and then we add on the granola which is usually a really high sugar substance we've got a ton of uh, honey that's coating whatever it is that you've got in there yeah. so now we have this delicious sugar bomb for breakfast and it's really not any different than eating a bowl of cereal or eating a package of sugar for breakfast and so yes you know you may be thinking you're eating this really healthy breakfast but it's not balanced and what that's going to do especially at the start of the day it's going to skyrocket your blood sugar then it's going to come crashing down 10 o'clock you're going to say hey i'm hungry i need to have a snack and you're going to ride that sugar roller coaster for the whole day and then you end up with this huge dysregulation and you wonder why you're snacking in the evening and you're starving and it's all because of starting your breakfast with this meal that isn't balanced you know and so we can identify those points in the day you know whether it be i need a snack first thing in the morning some people have that sugar crash after lunch or you get home and you're hangry you know at four or four o'clock five o'clock you're like i need food right now or or first some people it's that snacking in the evening and that can be fixed so easily by balancing blood sugars and by having just a better balance as a breakfast as that starting meal of the day rather than focusing on this the sugar bomb essentially that's going to cascade your hormones yeah fantastic point i see that all the time and it's uh you know people have the best intentions is but mm -hmm. that's you know some that's one of those breakfasts that we're led to believe is a healthier choice and for some people it may actually be a healthier choice but nonetheless it's still a sugar bomb like you said so what would be a uh, as you as you said a more balanced or appropriate breakfast as an ex just a quick example that would help set someone's blood sugar up for success for the remainder of the day so i typically recommend having some sort of protein with some sort of vegetable and so there's a whole bunch of different options you can do with that. I mean, eggs are typically a, a well-known breakfast food worldwide. You can get them pretty much anywhere. And then if you want to make an omelet, cook it up with a whole bunch of veggies. You know, so there's there's a nice easy breakfast. You could throw half an avocado on the side. You've got some really good quality fat in that. And that's going to sustain you. It's going to make you feel full longer. It's going to balance your blood sugars. You know, the fat itself will slow down the absorption of that, that carbohydrate as well. You know, even, you know, if you had a piece of toast with it. And so we want to make sure that we're just getting, we want to focus more on nutrient density rather than calorie density. And, and so it's not necessarily all about the number of calories you're having in, in the day. We want to try to put as many nutrients in, in your body. If you're not an egg fan, I always say try leftovers, you know, like have a leftover piece of salmon, a little bit of chicken, have, you know, a little bit of steak for breakfast. And again, have, have some veggies with it. Um, I love making veggie smoothies. And so I, I wouldn't necessarily sit down and eat four cups of spinach in the morning, but I'm going to throw that in my, my yeah. blender. I'm going to throw in a couple celery in there. I'll throw in, you know, half a lemon for a bit of flavor, a, a big chunk of ginger, you know, and probably a bunch of other veggies, some peas, some broccoli, cauliflower, things like that. You don't even taste them. And now all of a sudden, I mean, most of my smoothies end up being about six cups and it's pretty much 
just vegetables or vegetables and maybe one serving of fruit. And now I've eaten this really nutrient dense food, a little bit of protein with it. And I'm, I'm satisfied for the whole morning. That's a great tip. I love the smoothie tip and especially just tidying a ton of veggies in there. And it works great for kids as well. Those are phenomenal guidelines. I'm interested in hearing what your take is on, you know, especially within a hospital setting of what a lot of these patients, the advice that a lot of these patients are getting from the dietitians that are working within a hospital setting, because often Oftentimes they'll hear from a dietitian like you should have some whole grain cereal and skim milk and fruit and juice and carbohydrate dense sources of food that you know is setting them up for disaster. Like, you know, how have you uh, navigated that? <laughs> um, ignorance. <laughs> Selective ignorance. Selective ignorance. Intentional ignorance is yeah. is. I mean, I look at I look at the way that the food is put together in in the hospital system everywhere. So we're we're not just picking on any one specific hospital system. So we have to look at basically we're trying to feed a large number of people in the cheapest way possible and the most efficient way possible. Mm. And and so that's where it's starting from. Is that you know I, I think there has to be a fundamental shift in our hospitals to say we're we're really going to focus on shifting nutrition to getting patients the most nutrient dense foods that are possible. Like we're not just trying to keep them alive. We're, we're trying to give their immune systems and their bodies a chance to heal. And, and so I think there has to be a shift in the dollars that go into the, the food programs. And so right now the dietitians, yes, like they're, they're using, um, you know, Canada's food guide, America's portion plate, like whatever, whatever country you're yeah. from, you're, you're using the standard recommendations for a diet. Now, depending on, on what hospital you're at, what unit you're on, you might have a dietitian that has, you know, perhaps a, a slightly different education outside of your traditional university model that understands maybe the benefits of focusing more on um, a lower grain diet or or having, you know, know, maybe not so much food group based, but more nutrient based. And I I think there needs to be a shift in terms of how we're we're working on that with our our patients to really give them the best chance. And and so I think the system is so inherently flawed right from the beginning that we, we can't really fault the dietitians for delivering the way that they do because, you know, how do you how do you tell a patient to eat more fruits and vegetables but we don't have the funding dollars to actually give that to you in your meal tray you know like the the hospital that i work in majority of the food isn't even prepared in the hospital it gets shipped there and they warm it up and so when you're looking at feeding an entire hospital with food that has to be shippable that really limits what types of food that you can even have available right from the get-go. You know, so even myself, I bring all my all my meals to the hospital. I rarely eat from the cafeterias because I know what the quality of food is in terms of availability. And I mean, yes, there's days I plan to go for an eight-hour shift and I end up working a 12-hour shift or I end up working a 16-hour shift. So you have to go down and you need to get something to sustain yourself for, for the rest of the shift. But generally, I, I know that the meal options are, are not up to what I prefer in terms of standards for myself. Yeah, it's, I've worked with a lot of nurses um, as clients. It's, it's tough. It's tough for them to make good decisions and they really need to plan ahead to say nothing of, you know, what a chaotic schedule it is for you guys. So I have a lot of appreciation for those of you nurses that are able to eat healthy consistently. And I mean, we've been in the hospital a few times just for our our childbirth with my wife, obviously, and we want to get in, get out of there as quick as possible because (laughs) there's nothing that's going to be a great you know, nutrition source, especially after that kind of trauma, stuff like that. So it's usually Mm -hmm. bringing in a lot of healthy food and nutritionally dense food. But that was a total side tangent. But (laughs) 
but I feel like it was worth it because I wanted to get a nurse perspective. So, so coming back to your kind of core nutritional concepts, second to glucose regulation um, and blood sugar control, like what's the next component that you tend to deal with um, and how with your clients? Yeah. So, so I would say probably the next big one would be fueling for your activity level because mm-hmm. there's this misunderstanding of how much food that we should or could be eating. And, and I use the word should deliberately because people feel like, well, well, I should be able to eat this and like, but I ate this when I was 20. So why can't I eat this now? Or like, why am I gaining weight now? And it's like, well, you know, if you're 50 or you're 70, your body is fundamentally different than it was when you were 20. And we need to realize that our circumstances change over time. Our hormones change over time. Our activity levels change over time. The way we even metabolize the exact same meal will change over time as our bodies get older and maybe aren't able to absorb the nutrients as good as perhaps they could when we were in our 20s or 30s. And so we have to realize that just because you could do something when you were younger doesn't mean you should continue doing that as you get older. And, and so it's the, the connection between what are you actually doing and what is the, the result and the effect on your body? You know, and so many people will continue to eat, you know, more and more and more, or, you know, let's say they played varsity sports or were really active when they were younger. And then you stop doing that. And I mean, I've been through this myself. I, I gained a whole bunch of weight after I stopped uh, being more competitive in sport, you know, in part because of injury that forced me to, to stop being as active but your metabolism doesn't change overnight. And so now you're wired to eat this huge amount of food and you just keep eating at that level and your body is used to it and that's what you do. But then because your activity level has decreased, now all of a sudden you, you gain weight. And I mean, you, you look at the number of people that have been through that and so many people gain weight after you know playing at a university level or, or even just were generally active when they were younger. They have kids, they stop going out hiking and skiing on the weekends. They get you know tied up at home and you gain a little bit of weight each decade. And as you get older, that weight, oh, it's just another five pounds. Oh, it's just another five pounds. It's just another five pounds. And before you know it, you're 50 pounds overweight. And you're like, where did that come from? And how did that happen? And, and we don't necessarily have a strong connection in, in understanding why that happens over time. And it's common, but it's not necessarily normal. It's, it's not necessarily normal to gain weight over time. And, and so it's more a matter of, okay, but why are we gaining weight? And what other components in your, in your health are out of balance that are leading to that as, as a result? You know, so it's not always food. Perhaps your stress level went up. Perhaps your sleep went down. Perhaps your activity level isn't what it used to be. And, and so there's so many components. It's this multifaceted approach. It's not just your nutrition. Your nutrition is definitely one component of that picture, but there's so many other parts that come into play. You know, and I, I see this a lot, especially with women who perhaps aren't sleeping as good, and then they, they wonder why they can't lose weight. We improve their sleep, didn't change anything with their diet, and magically they can lose weight. And yeah. so it's such a, such a complex picture that, that you can't just say, well, stop eating this, start eating this, and, and it'll work out. Sometimes it does, but not always. Well, especially it, like you said, it's it's multifactorial and understanding like, hey, if you're sleeping more, then it goes back to the first concept we talked about, like you're going to be more insulin sensitive. So the carbs that you mm-hmm. are eating, you're actually going to be able to utilize more effectively as opposed to storing them as fat. And then absolutely just in terms of physical activity levels, the amount of food that people are eating, especially because so many people have sedentary lifestyles and uh, and jobs where they're just sitting all day long and then... Uh, and especially in a corporate environment is like a lot of times these companies and I've experienced it firsthand in terms of working with these types of companies where employees are just sitting around all day working, but then companies bringing in multiple meals per day. And usually they're pretty calorically dense meals and they're eating, you know, 
tons of food and it's just, it's far too many calories on a daily basis. And that stuff adds up very, very quickly. Absolutely. And, and it's definitely about the, the right type of calories, right? So if you're, I mean, if you're sitting at a desk, yes, you need to have some calories, but you don't need to have hundreds of grams of carbohydrates each day to fuel mm-hmm. your inactivity level. And so it's looking at how do we shift your macronutrients so that maybe you get a little bit more protein, maybe you get a little bit more fat in your diet and we cut down on that carbohydrate that's leading to, again, that whole cascade of insulin resistance to the weight gain. And, and so you can still still be satiated, still feel full, but then you're not adding on this giant burden of extra sugar that basically just gets stored in your body. So maybe one other area, one other, one other uh, area of those 10 core nutritional concepts you can touch yeah. on? I, I would say probably variety is, is a huge struggle for a lot of people. People tend to kind of fall into their habits and this is what I eat for breakfast and these are the five mm-hmm. things that I do for dinners and you know I've got my three lunches and we tend to stick with that and it's like but but I eat fruit yogurt and granola for breakfast every day and that's my breakfast and I'm not really you know willing to try new things and, and it works for me and I like it but what we're not doing is we're not rotating our foods partly through through the day or through the week but we're not rotating them larger scale so we we need to have a variety of nutrients through your lifetime and if you eat the exact same foods all the time you're missing out on essential nutrients that might be higher in a different type of fruit or might be higher in a different type of vegetable or you know different types of fats and so we need to look at rotating our foods a lot more throughout the year eating seasonally is a really great way to do that so you're kind of tackling a couple options or a couple things by doing the seasonal eating is if you eat what's in season in your area, you're actually eating cheaper food because then it's, I mean, I live in, in Alberta. We basically have winter. I, I joke for uh, six months of the year. Um, it feels like that this year, uh, but we don't, we, I mean, we don't have a lot of fresh food. It's not like I can go out to my garden that's buried under a foot of snow. Actually, it's a meter of snow. It's quite deep this year. Uh, it's not like I can go out and like just pick some carrots out of the garden and, and eat those fresh. If you live down south somewhere, you know, maybe Florida, you can probably grow things more throughout the year. So then, you know, your growing season gets extended. The the price of food here at least tends to go up quite a bit in the winter. So, you know, through the winter, I tend to eat more root veggies, things like beets, uh, even sweet potatoes, potatoes, squash is a big part of my diet in the winter. But then when spring rolls around, then then the greens come out and it's rotating through to having more salads and more more fresh fruit. And, you know, I, I have a giant row of raspberries along the side of my house. So then I eat more berries in the summer. And like, I really try to grow what I can in my area for, you know, for the short growing season that we do. And I freeze a lot of it. So I've got kale through the winter and, and a bunch of beans and things like that, that, that do really well. Uh, but it's rotating. So you're not eating the exact same stuff over and over again. And I, I have a theory that uh, a lot of our food intolerances are coming up because of this exact reason is like, we just, we don't have that rotation. So like gluten, for example, there's so many people that are either celiac, they're gluten sensitive, they're gluten intolerant, like they just have these sensitivities to foods that have gluten in them. And that's because gluten is literally in everything. I mean, it's in our sauces, it's a thickener, it's the breading, it's like it's on everything. And I I kind of use the analogy, if we did the same thing with strawberries, so we started taking strawberries and we put strawberries in everything. So now every drink that you buy has strawberries in it. Every salad that you have has strawberries in it. Every dinner you eat has strawberries in it. Every sauce has strawberries in it. Every spice has strawberries in it. 
I would guarantee, uh, this is at least my theory, is that over time, the amount of strawberry sensitivities would go up dramatically. Mm -hmm. And especially if we used only one type of strawberry instead of different strawberries that are grown in different places, if we only used one strain, we're going to notice all of a sudden we have way more people that can't tolerate strawberries. And and I think it's just that we don't have the variety in our grains. I I think it's not necessarily that our grains are inherently evil and no one should ever eat them. Mm -hmm. I think it's that we don't grow them in the right way, that we're having different types of wheat and we're having wheats that are higher in proteins or higher in gluten or higher, like higher in different components and, and having that option so that it's not in everything. And then we can then pick a grain suited for what we're trying to do with it kind of back in you know, what we used to do in the old days in terms of how breads were made and some breads were more dense and some breads were fluffier and like just having more options is that, you know, I, I really wonder if that's just a part of our gluten sensitivities is that we're just so overexposed to this one type and you know same thing with corn like one type of corn that's in everything yeah you know and if we just if we started using more types of corn maybe we use purple corn maybe we use white corn we use yellow corn and like i don't even know all the strains of yellow corn that are out there and and if we just we started introducing more heirloom varieties of some of these products i feel like the food sensitivities over time would decrease and we would then you know same thing with know any other food like have more variety in our tomatoes have more variety in our broccolis like there's so many strains of vegetables out there people have never even heard of and and let's let's get those varieties out there and and have more versatility in our diets no that's a a great assertion and you know what everything's corn wheat and soy i mean those are the three main crops and they're all monoculture so we're just using the same Mm -hmm. soil to grow the same crops year after year and, you know, I recall recently reading something and, and I'm not going to do justice to the significance of this of statistic, but essentially suggesting that over the past hundred years, whereas we've had, basically we've reduced the variety of our fruits and vegetables and crops down f- from, you know, let's say hundred percent down to like, we are only producing like the same 7% and we've eliminated roughly 93% of the varieties of different foods and, and food groups, different apples and different, like you said, types of wheat and types of corn and, and, and all of those types of things to the degree that like, we have a very finite amount of food choices within the spectrum of what is possible, which is pretty crazy to think about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, you had talked about how you'd spend a couple of years uh, with regard to researching for your book on all the different types of diets out there and the kind of the optimal way of eating for someone. And so within all of your research, was there something, was there a particular diet that represented the majority of the things that you found to be uh, optimal? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I didn't really spend a lot of time analyzing the diets against these components um you know but when i when i kind of run through those 10 core components i I think if i were to pick one one diet that's like pretty pretty close and pretty dialed is is the core concept of the paleo diet Mm -hmm. Uh, i think there's definitely some people that look at the paleo diet and think oh it's like the meat diet like that's where where you just eat a ton of, of meat and if you really break it down to the fundamentals of what a paleo diet is, it's actually not a meat dense diet at all. It's a very nutrient dense, vegetable dense diet that happens to have some meat and some good quality fat in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think every diet is going to have a little bit of weakness in, in one area or, or another within those. Um, but like I said, you, you can basically take these 10 core principles and you can apply it to any diet. You know, so I, I 
kind of tease out on the vegan diet. And I think there's a lot of potential for a vegan diet to be extremely healthy, but I feel like it actually falls short in a lot of these components because of how it's being executed. And so people shift to a vegan diet because they want to be healthier. They think they're making good choices. And then when I look at a lot of the foods that are in a vegan diet, things like the seitan, the veggie ground round, the tofurkey, like those are not real foods. Those are processed synthetic things that you're eating that have been put together by a variety of grains and, you know, things, binders to stick them together to make something to replace meat. So if that's, if that's how we're eating a diet, whether, you know, and I'm, I'm picking on veganism right now, but if that's how we're going to eat in any diet, that's not sustainable. It's not nutrient dense. It's not realistic to sustain. And yet, like, I feel like the vegan diet could actually be the best diet in each of the 10 components that I've, I've highlighted if you were to do it well. And if you were to really spend the time to make sure that you're eating whole foods, unprocessed foods, like getting away from the refined stuff, the the product side of it, and really working to eat more of a sustainable nutrient dense diet, like vegan diet has a lot of potential to, to be up there, you know, and to be a really healthy diet, you know, but most people that turn to veganism are not doing it the correct way. They're not getting a good balance of amino acids. They're eating highly refined foods. They're eating way too much carbohydrate again for their energy level. And they're, they're seeking, like they get some benefits initially, because they were eating such a horrible diet before that anything is better than what they were doing. And so then all of a sudden they feel better, they're energized, and now they're these huge advocates for being vegan when it's actually more the benefit they're getting is just that they cleaned up a whole bunch of the garbage in their diet. Yeah. And, and so you could get that from even just eating whatever diet you had before and just cutting out a whole bunch of that sugary garbage. Totally. Um, yeah. So I, I think, you know, right now, based on what's out there, I think paleo diet is definitely a, a really high one up there. Um, Mediterranean diet is is kind of in there as well. Um, you know, and, and again, it's a matter of, you know, what kind of foods are you putting as your fats for the Mediterranean diet, but, but they're big on advocating for, you know, more whole food, more balance, you know, good quality fats, things like that. Um, but I, I think any diet has potential to meet those criteria. It's just a matter of how you actually execute it. Yeah. Absolutely. So your book, Healthy by Choice, Your Blueprint for Vital Living. Tell us a little bit about your book. Yeah. So my book was actually born out of a a lot of the challenges that I had with my own health and struggling to find the right results through the medical system. So according to the traditional medical system, I was fine. There was nothing wrong with me. Um, The the short version is that I I had jaw surgery just before I turned 18 and ended up with a cascade of health issues. Mm -hmm. So I've had things that young people shouldn't have had. So I've had shingles now four times in my lifetime, Mm -hmm. um, staph infections, fungal infections, gout, chronic sinus infections. My knees were so inflamed. I couldn't walk up the stairs. I had to go up sideways, um, a lot of gut problems. And, And so for me, I would go to the doctor and I would complain about these symptoms and they would say, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with you and you're, you're fine. I went to rheumatologists, you're fine. I, you know, and I thought I had lupus. I thought I had MS. Like I thought I had all these weird things because I had roaming joint pain and yeah. I just couldn't figure out what was going on. And I'm, I'm educated. I have an understanding. I thought I was eating really healthy doing Canada's food guide. I was exercising. And right. when I look back, I was doing so many things wrong. My sleep totally fell apart. I ended up only sleeping two to three hours a night and thought I was going crazy. Like my mental health just completely fell apart. And so I was like, maybe I had bipolar. And like, I just, my brain was like, oh my God, there's all these things wrong with you. And I truly felt broken. And so what really fixed me was going back to what are the core components of being healthy, you know, and, and parts from the traditional medical system, parts from 
naturopaths, from homeopaths, from different components, not one thing anywhere along the lines fixed me, but it was looking at what is, you know, what are the commonalities between things that are, you know, that people are saying, and then really turning to the research of what are the benefits out there from, you know, all these other health programs and coming up with the seven core pillars that I focus on. So sleep, nutrition, exercise, and mental health. If you think of your health like a table, those are your four table legs, the core components of your health. Your digestion is that tabletop that ties those four together, interrelates back and forth with them. And then your medical conditions and your lifestyle factors are what pile on top of your table that throw that off a of balance. And so it's important that we make sure that each of those components gets addressed or looked at when we're looking at that bigger health. And so for me, my biggest passion is that I, I really want to improve the health of the world. I want to get out there and make a big impact. And this was a really great way to do that is to, to share that information that to me, I think should be common sense that helped me fix my health, has helped me with the hundreds of clients that I've worked with over the years, helped me improve their health dramatically, results that they couldn't get with other weight loss programs, they couldn't get with other traditional health programs. And, and just basically simplifying those concepts, making it easier for you to get good results without necessarily having to do that much more in your life. Sometimes it's actually taking more off of your plate and doing less to get better results. Yes. And, and that's the focus of the book is to simplify it, to give you a blueprint that you can apply to your life regardless of who you are man woman child you know how active you are if you're sedentary if you're injured you know if you're in a wheelchair if you're you know a power lifter like it doesn't really matter who you are what you do you know what type of job you have these concepts are basically the core components of what everyone needs to be doing to be healthy and and you can apply that however you want but you know there's certain fundamentals within each of those and, and that's really what i've done is i've taken really complex information distilled it down into the basics, the core components, and delivered it in an easy way, a very palatable format with lots of case studies, lots of examples in there so that you can relate to other people and go, wow, like I can connect with that. And I know because you're, you're not a special snowflake. Um, I don't know if you know Rob Wolf. He always talks about, you know, yeah. being a unique special snowflake. And uh, there's so many problems that I see people are like, oh, I'm probably the only one that you've heard that's had this. I'm like, no, I hear it all the time. <laughs> and, and like common problems are common. Like we all have similar health issues that just keep coming up over and over again. And, and that's what I illustrate in here are the common principles of the common problems that happen to so many people. That sounds awesome. It sounds like it's directly in line with what our mission here is, which is to help people make smart nutrition simple. So I'm looking forward to diving into that book. I'm assuming people can find it on Amazon. Yes, it's on Amazon. It's on Indigo. You can get it directly through my website as well if you're having a hard time finding it. So you can go to uh, yourlifestylestrategy.com and then I've got a link on my website to my book and it can, can take you direct to the Amazon link that way. Um, and any, any online retailer should be available through them. And if you're driving and you don't have a chance to look at the show notes, just a reminder to, to, to lock this in your brain. It's called Healthy by Choice, Your Blueprint for Vital Living. Shauna, just a couple wrap-up questions for you. What are one or two resources or people that you've continued to learn from over the past year? You know, Rob, Rob Wolf is definitely a, a guy that I follow and really respect his information. Um, Chris Kresser sort of up in that realm as well. I, I find a lot of the paleo guys, um, they're, they're very up to date on the information that's out there in terms of what's, what's changing and, and not necessarily about what's trendy, but medical knowledge is changing. We're learning so much. The advances that are out there are astronomical. What we know about uh, nutrition, what we know about exercise and how to apply those principles to the body. The traditional medical system is 
um, in terms of the way that it needs to change is there's a lot of loopholes that things need to go through before you can actually apply that to uh, a clinic or to a hospital. And so I find they're, even though they should be right on top of the trends, they aren't always. Um, places like the Cleveland Clinic are a great place because they tend to be a little more up and up in terms of, you know, um, they've got obesity medicine now. And, and so they're really making some, some changes to, to try to get out there and, and share that information. The Mayo Clinic is a great place for, for good quality information as well. And so it's just trying to stay on top of what's, what's going out there. And, you know, I think it, it will always come back to the same core principles, but it's then how do we take the new information that we're learning Di digestion for an example is an area that is changing so much like mm -hmm. our digestion in, uh, understanding is is changing dramatically even from the time that I started writing the book to now um, you know the the digestion chapter that I had was very difficult to write because I knew no matter what I put in here it's going to be obsolete in a year yeah because our understanding changes so much. And, and so that's the, the hard part about writing any kind of book is you, you print it and then all of a sudden, you know, information changes and, and understanding of, of concepts and core principles changes. And, and so, yeah, I, I just try to stay on top. I do a lot of reading. I listen to a lot of podcasts um, and, and really just try to stay on top of knowledge and, and feel like, okay, you know, there's, there's a ton that I could even add to it. And each chapter could almost be a whole book in itself with how much I've learned over the past couple of years. That's awesome. Well, that's what it's all about. I mean, just continuing to learn and experience new things and, you know, respect your own journey and the things that are working for you and understanding then through, you know, your case studies and the things that are working for your clients and, and then learning from people that have been around and, and done the things that you want to do and uh, are helping people on a, a grandiose level. And so that's awesome. Uh, last question for you, Shauna, if you could only have one meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner for the rest of your life, what would that be? Oh my God, that's the hardest question ever. <laughs> One meal and the same thing? Yeah, how does it be the same meal? Oh, does it have to be nutrient dense? It doesn't have to be nutrient dense. <laughs> oh man, you know, I, I would probably pick, um, I love salads. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would probably have like this really rich salad that had a whole bunch of stuff in it. So, you know, lots of fresh greens. I'd have some kind of lean protein on it, you know, I... I'm an Alberta girl, so I got to go for Alberta beef, uh, a okay. nice, a nice grass fed steak that's, that's nice. cooked a little on the, the pinker side, um, throw some nuts and seeds on there. And then a nice delicious dressing with some oil, vinegar, a little bit of garlic and a, a touch of salt in there. Yeah. That, I don't know. I think anything you would pick if I had to eat it for the rest of my life, I'd probably be sick of it, but, um, totally that's without <laughs> question, but, but then, it, you know, I mean, that's the purpose of the question, right? Yeah. So, Shauna, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. I'm so appreciative of uh, your time and your wisdom and knowledge and all of the wonderful things that you're doing just by spreading the word about health and, and fitness and nutrition and making an impact. And that's, you know, that's the most important thing. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day. And uh, I know our listeners got a ton of value out of this and we'll have to connect again soon. That sounds fantastic. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Absolute pleasure. Take care. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Shauna Curry. If you want to find any of the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those links over in the show notes at bslnutrition.com forward slash episode 
24-7. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes so that we can help more people make smart nutrition simple. Thanks so much for tuning in, whether it's your first episode or you've been following me over the past year on the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. I'm super grateful to have you along for the ride. Hopefully you found some useful information that you can apply immediately. And if you did, then again, do us a favor and maybe share it with someone that you think could benefit. Leave us a review in iTunes. And if you have any questions, if there's anything specifically that you're struggling with that you want me to address on the show, or even if you want to get on a nutrition strategy call with me, you can reach out to me personally at ben at bslnutrition.com. With that said, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and I will catch you next week. This episode was brought to you by BSL Nutrition and the Complete Essentials All-in-One Training Drink. If you've been looking for a comprehensive workout supplement that can help support great energy both in and around your workouts as well as reduce muscle soreness naturally without all the caffeine and artificial sweeteners, then head over to bslnutritionshop.com and type in podcast at checkout for 15% off your first purchase of either grape and or lemon lime.